They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Brant Menswar. Once upon a time, not so long ago. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time used to work on the dial. Junior's been on strike. He's down on his luckiest toe. Oh, so tough. Gina works at Dino all day. All day. Working for her man. She brings home her pay for love. For what? For love. She says we gotta hold on to what we got. It doesn't make a difference if if we make it or not. Boom. I don't know what you're (laughs) feeling, but I'm feeling pretty good. Except the whoa, whoa, whoa's. Eight cups of coffee this morning, people. And a little Red Bull. It's your favorite podcast. And that's all we should have to say. (laughs) We should just start the show then. (laughs) If that's all we're going to say. What do we do here anyway? We give people advice. How many pieces do you think? Two. How long does it usually take? Mm. Uh, Trente. Trente? Trente. In Espanol, it's 30 minutes, right? I like it. We. And it's sponsored by? Certified Rockstar. Where you can find out information where? Mm, CertifiedRockstar.com for our half-day, full-day, and virtual programs. And who does it support? Uh, It supports Cannibal Kids Cancer and their fight uh, for funding treatment options for kids who run out of options. That saved me from asking what do they do. Where can you find out information about them? Uh, CannibalKidsCancer.org. And if you like the show, what should they do? Uh, uh, go to iTunes and leave a rating and a star, uh, star and rate. Wait, in a review and a star rating. I feel like I'm on t- uh, the what is the pyramid pass, show? Pass. Okay. <laughs> you got to go to the next one. <laughs> we know how busy you are, right? Why are we rocking back and forth looking at <laughs> I don't each know. Other. I'm super nervous as to what's going to come out of your mouth. Okay. Listen, we know how busy you are, and busy. you're trying to find a little bit of leadership nuggets to just make your life a little bit better. We totally, totally, totally understand that. So listen, you could be doing two things at once. You could be listening to the show still, but you could also be doing something else. Like, for instance, maybe you're making tableside guac. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you're standing in line for the new iPhone 12. How long is this going to take? Maybe you're restringing a Telecaster at Norm's Guitars. Ow, my finger. Doesn't matter to us. We just want to be the half hour you've been looking forward to all week. Rock and roll. Let's do it. Our guest today is Sean Rosenstiel, who is the author of The School of Intentional Living. He's also the founder of the Intentional Living Academy. So I'm sure we're going to talk about that first. Sean, welcome to Thoughts That Rock. Hey, thank you both for having me today. It's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, man, we we are looking forward to this, and uh, I think most people know at this point that uh, they can get all of your information, the show notes. That's where we point everybody to to grab your full bio. I would encourage people to go check it out. But you know, a couple things, Brian, I thought were cool. First off, you know, Sean's story really began when he found himself completely bankrupt at 28 years old. So. <laughs> You know, t- tough right there, right? And I think it was that sobering moment. Sean can correct us uh, if we're wrong, but that's really where it taught him to attain true happiness and fulfillment. And, and that meant that he really needed to do things differently, right? And just sort of break out of these societal norms and create his own path, which leads to, obviously, intentional living. That's that's where that comes from. So, you know, I just think Sean now having the ability to inspire and empower his readers to achieve their dreams and live the lives they truly deserve, that's, that's really what that intentional living is all about. So, like I said, man, we're really excited that you're here. And and like you said, Sean, you're a fan of the show. You've, uh, you know how this works. We don't do the traditional long interview format. You know, our, our uh, listeners love to get right to the heart of some awesome pieces of advice. So we're going to leave the floor open to you, my friend. What is your thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock, number one. So my thought that rocks is this. No one is responsible for you, but you. Hmm. I like it. Accountability. Bring it, brother. Putting the heat on people. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about that. <laughs> Well, as you mentioned, I had a bit of a wake-up call uh, in my late 20s, and as I look back on that, that was 10 years ago, it was a real blessing. Throughout my teenage years, throughout my 20s, I was really kind of living life at Mach 10 speed with my hair on fire, very carelessly, (laughs) very unintentionally, very selfishly, made a lot of poor decisions. My number one goal was to be a millionaire by the time I was 25, so that kind of really, that was my aim. I was really focused on, I guess, a conventional idea of success, surrounded by material possessions, big homes, fancy cars, fun toys, substances. You know, I was trying to get filled up by all sorts of different material things and substances. And I made some very bad decisions, and eventually those led to that pivotal moment when I filed bankruptcy. And at the time, it was one month before my wedding. So it's a very interesting time in my life. Yeah. And, you know, here I am sitting like, how am I going to be responsible for this other human being in a month? And this other human being, my future wife is talking about someday raising a family. Like, how am I going to be able to figure this all out when I can't even take responsibility for my own life? And then I remembered that as part of the bankruptcy filing, I included some money that my parents had loaned to me over the years with all of my other debts. And at the time, it didn't really dawn on me, like, what would be the repercussions of that. But that train of thought left the station. I continued to think about all these different consequences of my bankruptcy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, my poor mother is going to go to the mailbox in a few weeks or a few months. <laughs> Who knows? The government can be backed up. Right? So maybe it's a few months from now. But whenever that day is, you know, she's really going to get hit with a surprise. So I better I better call my folks and let them know what, what happened. So I called my folks and delivered the news, and I'll never forget it. They, my, my, my dad, who is like this very, you know, tough, tough love type of a guy, uh, said, said those words to me. He said, Sean, no one is responsible for you but you. And then my mom chimed in a few moments later and said, I think it's time to find a quiet place and figure things out for yourself. <laughs> that is tough love. Now that, yeah, now that guidance 
you know, if they told me that once, they told me a hundred times, you know, in the previous couple of decades, but I was finally in a place in my life, that bankruptcy, for whatever reason, I had a lot of close calls growing up. Close calls, meaning like I probably shouldn't be here. None of those close calls with my mortality ever woke me up. It was this darn bankruptcy that really Hmm. shook me because I basically lost my entire identity. My identity was wrapped up in all of this conventional success, material possession status, and it really shook me up. And it was the wake up call that I finally answered. So I recognized the fact that, okay, I really do need to start taking charge of my life as my dad recommended to me so many times. And it is time based on the fact I'm about to be married in 30 days that I figure it out. And so it was uh, one of those moments where, and I think a lot of us experiencing this pandemic is kind of doing that. It was a moment in my life that shook me up just enough to pause and reflect and sit back and you know, take a little inventory on some of the choices that I had made up until that moment in my life. And I realized that financial bankruptcy was actually the least of my concerns. I was Mm -hmm. physically bankrupt. I was mentally, emotionally bankrupt. I was spiritually bankrupt. I was relationally bankrupt. Like I felt like I lost everything in the wake of that financial bankruptcy. Uh, So that's where that guidance comes from that's when that where that one thought comes from that that advice to me guys significantly altered the trajectory of my life because i was ready to hear it and i finally took it seriously and i was mobilized by it for the first time yeah first off i agree with you i mean there there probably couldn't be a more relevant time to hear this i mean you, you started to to sort of wade a little bit into it you think about the lockdown the pandemic what people are going through some of them they, they don't have a, um, a real say so they don't have any, um, you know, a, a focus to not be in bankruptcy because there's so many things that are happening to people. But I do agree that I think this mindset that you have, you know, we all make choices, right? And, and choices have consequences. And I think if somebody, you know, for a while, people are responsible for you until you become an adult and, and you, you got to go and fly on your own and, now you got to put on your adult clothes. You got to put on your big boy and big girl pants and hopefully you've got the right infrastructure, the right character, you've got the right learning so that you can make these great decisions later on. But you know, maybe my question might be cuz you started together now, what what kind of advice would you give to people who maybe are financially, spiritually, mentally, physically bankrupt? Like they're going through this right now, perhaps not of their own making. It had nothing to do with their background. So it's a little bit of a different take. What kind of advice would you give to those people? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, in my example, it was, it was, it really was on me. You know, I made a lot of careless, negligent decisions. Like I was 100% responsible for my circumstances. And, you know, a lot of people, that's not the case. A lot of people, especially now with the environment that we're in, uh, things happen. We lose loved ones. We, we lose a job. Uh, we end a relationship or someone else ends it for us. And a lot of that isn't in our control. And it wasn't, a lot of that wasn't, you know, based on our direct behavior or actions or attitudes or whatever else. What always helps me is to just remember that there are seasons in life. Mm -hmm. And I love the investing advice I got many years ago, which is like, look, you know, when you invest, you're going to have good days and bad days. But at the end of every year, the key is to have more good days than bad. (laughs) Right. So yeah. to be be up more than you're down, and I like to take that financial advice and apply it to my life because 
life is full of seasons. We have winter seasons, spring seasons, summer, fall seasons. And I think a lot of people right now are in a bit of a bit of a winter. Yeah. And it may or may not be a long winter. Many of us are experiencing a winter that's that's longer than we're used to in certain areas of life. And we don't really have that, you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel may not be clear just yet. Right. Yeah. So I think just kind of hanging on to this idea that, okay, you know, we're in a little bit of a difficult season. Um, the only constant in life is change. So, you know, there will be the next chapter at some point. I may or may not be able to control, you know, when that chapter comes, but to just kind of stay the course and to really be patient with yourself and to really be patient with others and have more compassion for yourself and more mm -hmm. compassion for others. I, my mom always says, uh, she loves this quote, it's at the end of this movie, and I always screw this up, but it's like, um, if things are, no, you know, things are always, things will be okay in the end. And if things aren't okay, it's not the end. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So to try, try to just find that peace, that inner peace, like what I discovered was, you know, my number one priority back then was I just want to feel good. I just want to feel good. So whether that's through alcohol or through tobacco or through buying these material possessions to try to fill this void, I just want to feel good. Yeah. And I, I kind of redirected that over time. I said, you know, that's a very good thing. I think as a human being, like, that's a really noble thing. You want to feel good. And then the question is, am I using the right vehicles to feel good or not? Hmm. So if you're experiencing that now and the outcome isn't necessarily in your direct control, which it isn't for a lot of us, like, in what ways can we on a daily basis fill ourselves up yeah. and make ourselves feel good in a very empowering way, not a limiting way, not a disabling way, but a very empowering way, you know, to kind of endure and stay the course and be persistent until there's a new season that arrives. Hmm. Right. Is that how you sort of, when you talk to people about what intentional living looks like, how, how, how do you describe that? What is intentional living to you? Yeah, I think just like this definition of success, we all have our own definitions of success. And I think that that's what's important is that we define for ourselves our own unique definition of success. And I, I feel the same way about intentional living. I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions surrounding what does intentional living mean. And I can share with you my definition of intentional living. But the fact of the matter is, I think everyone needs to define if they're you know, if they get the tap on the shoulder and if, and if you get that call, as I would call it, as you get that calling to live a more intentional life, I think it's important for you to decide based on your situation, based on your unique circumstances, what does intentional living look like for you? So for me, intentional living looks like doing the best I can with, with what I have. It looks like making the most of my time each day. It looks like using my God-given talents and abilities to my fullest capacity. It, it looks like, you know, uh, making a difference in the lives of those I lead, love, and serve. And ultimately, it looks like leaving this world in better condition than when I arrived. My grandmother, when I was a child, I didn't get to know her very well. She passed when I was very young. But the one thing I do remember is that we as kids used to, like, run into a room, destroy it, and as we are exiting, my grandmother used to say, hey, kids, kids, you know, never leave a room in worse condition than when you found it. 
And I, I like to kind of carry on that guidance and carry on that legacy and actually use the room as a metaphor for the world. Sure. Yeah. So one of the big pieces of the puzzle with intentional living as it relates to my life is how can I leave this world in better condition than when I arrived? Hmm. That's great. It. Yeah, it's real similar. So so interesting enough, um, you know, Sean, my, uh, I, I just came out with my new book a few weeks ago. Uh, called, thank you. Um, it's called black sheep and it's centered around this idea that, um, there's a big difference between being intentional and living your life with deliberate intention. And, mm -hmm. and I would describe the difference as being intentional is setting a destination in your GPS. That is the destination of which you want to reach. You're being intentional about it, but yes. deliberate intention would be understanding and knowing every twist and turn you're going to make. Uh, along the way uh, of reaching that destination. And so yes. the book talks about our black sheep values. And so to me, if you are going to live a life of deliberate intention, it's really broken into three parts for me. It's, it's values, purpose, and mission. And so if you uh, are going to do anything on purpose, to me, that means not being intentional. It means you're going to do something in alignment with your yes. purpose. And I agree a hundred percent that people need to define for themselves. What are your non-negotiables first, right? Those, I call those your black sheep values because like a black sheep's wool, these values can't be changed. They're, they're developed over the course of our lives. By the time we're in our early twenties, they're really well set and outside of a catastrophic event, they, they're pretty much set in stone um, for the majority of your life. And so as we sort of look at those, we have to understand what they are. We have to use those to choose a purpose that honors and amplifies these non-negotiable values. And then if we can do those two things, it allows us to be incredibly adaptable and resilient with regards to deliberate intention. It allows yes. us to be able to move and pivot quickly and take something like a global pandemic and be able to take it in stride because you're not, you're not trying to live your life on the 50, 60, 70 things that are incredibly important to you. You're living a life on the five things that are completely non-negotiable to you. Love it. Love it. By the way, I recently ordered, the, I, I literally got recommendations, I'm not lying, from about five people within a week. And that book is sitting on my shelf. I oh, haven't read it yet. That's really? Amazing. That's amazing. That's yeah, awesome. But I've heard some incredible things about that book. So, so again, kudos. And I love what you, I can't wait to dig in because I, I love that. And I think a lot of people have a difficult time discovering and actually identifying and truly understanding their values. I yeah. think over the last few decades, since like, you know, Jim Collins, good to great, Patrick Lentz, like the yep. huge value trend that took place. Yep. I think a lot of people believe that they might be watered down or trite or overused. I think they're more important than ever before. Yeah. Agreed. And what I've identified, there was a study done in this book called um, quantum change mm -hmm. And it was fascinating. It was a value study done. And what I'm finding is that uh, the, the great uh, psychoanalyst Carl Jung talks about the morning, the afternoon, the evening of their lives. And I usually work with people in the afternoon of their lives. And Carl Jung suggests that when you get to their afternoon of your life, the program that you're using is the same program that worked in your life's morning. But in the afternoon, it no longer works. And, and a lot of that is because it's a shift in values. So this value study that was done in quantum change suggests that after an incident, 
or after like a slow burn of time or after just like this one moment where you have an epiphany, your values shift. And what was true in the morning or your, you know, early ambition years, achievement years, your values, as far as like for men and women, they're different. But for men, I can speak to those firsthand. It's money, it's fame, it's power, it's respect, it's pleasure. All of a sudden you find yourself in the afternoon of your life. And for men, all of a sudden it's like spirituality, God's will, family, generosity, like they're just totally different, but you're still living your life from the program of your life's morning and you're in the afternoon and things just aren't working. There's like this feeling in, inside. So you've experienced this shift in your values, but since it's an unconscious shift, mm-hmm. since you're not aware of that shift, you're, you're, you feel like you're you know, going through the motions or you're drifting or you're just putting in the time. So it's fascinating. Values are a fascinating thing. And I can't wait to dig into your book because uh, I I usually don't talk a lot about them because they are so misunderstood. But gosh, I could sit here for hours. That's so important. I I love the the concept of, you know, living in alignment with your values. It's it's fantastic. Well, similar to to what you have just said, you know, there's a we created an online assessment to go along with the book uh, that helps people discover their flock of five. Right. These five black sheep values. And so we've had a few thousand people take the assessment and interesting enough, similar to what you just said, um, some of the discoveries that we've gotten thus far of what the data tells us is, is first of all, the top two values shared among all men and women, uh, our number one is connection and number two is authenticity. And on the surface, uh, there's, those are very wide values. (laughs) So connection Mm -hmm. could be community. It could be family. It could be relationship. It could be faith. It could be spirituality. It could be, there's so many different ways to define what connection means to you and authenticity. I have no idea what that means to anyone outside of myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is, right. it is, it is the importance of defining what we mean by these values that we choose because they're very subjective in nature. Um, and they're very difficult to just sort of come to this ubiquitous this definition of what we agree that these things are going to mean. But as we look at the data, um, and we look at the difference between men and women and the data separates them into 10 year age ranges. So you've got like 20 to 30, 30 to 40, et cetera, up sure. to 60 plus. And what we've been able to sort of look at and see is that women over, um, overwhelmingly have and early on, I mean, in their twenties, thirties are looking at things that are incredibly important, like loyalty, honesty connection, family, right? These are the things that really matter most to them. And when you look at the men, it's achievement, Mm. success. It's, it is literally what culture has just driven through our skulls, which is, this is what you should care about now. And, and the world looks very different than it did 10, 15 years ago, never mind six six months ago. And so those type of of stereotypes that have been driven into us as to what we should care about are the reasons why we're not seeing transformation is because that's not how people actually feel anymore. And so when we look at this flock of five that people get to, we know two or three of them without question are a hundred percent real. They can prove them. They can give us 
20 different examples for each one of them over the course of their lives as to how they've experienced them. But we know that two or three of them are complete fabricated BS. They're either who they want to be or who somebody told them they should be, but they're not the actual black sheep value. They're not that non-negotiable, but they pretend and allow this imposter to sort of be in their flock. And when they don't find evidence, when they don't find the ability to actually say this is real, it really stops people from experiencing the transformation because they're feeding someone else's sheep. And so they've got to go out and find these lost values that get mixed up in what culture tells us is what we should care about and get to the truth as to what our true non-negotiables are. Because when that happens, then all of a sudden you become more resilient. You become more adaptable because you're actually feeding the things that matter most to you as opposed to feeding what matters most to anybody else. Brant, Sean's got your book. You don't have to do the keynote anymore. Good Lord. He's preaching over here. Sorry. I almost stood up. Where's the PowerPoint slides? Jeez. (laughs) If I could just point your attention to slide number two. I just stood hey, up. I'm you hooked. can't see this, Sean. I, I just stood up. <laughs> yes, I feel like I'm, I'm in a training class all of a sudden. I know. I'm hooked, man. I appreciate it. And what, what I've found, and I don't know if you found this too, but for people, and, and I found this with myself, to, for people to dig through the muck and to get to what's real and what's true as far as their values and to get rid of all the conditioning, societal conditioning, religious conditioning, culture, you know, all those things are hopefully positive influences, but there gets it to be a point in time where you're like, I need to figure this out for myself. Yeah. And you want to try to, you know, do away with some of those influences to figure out what's real. And what I've found with some of the experiences I've had with myself, with clients, it's really hard to do, isn't it? It's, it's oh. kind of like oh, yeah. trying to read, read the label of a bottle from sitting inside the bottle. Yes. Like your vantage point, your perspective <laughs> nice. on that matter of values is so difficult at times, yep. right? Because you're just so close to it. Sometimes you can't even see what's right under your nose. 100%. Yeah. I'm I'm curious, Sean, when you, you know, the, the quote that you gave, I think you said your dad gave it to you. No one's responsible for you, but you. And I know that that is you know, somewhat tough. I I thought the second part that you said that sounded like it came from your mom, which is you need to, it's time for you to get to a quiet place and figure things out. Right. So I'm hoping that, you know, with this, this tough love parenting, you know, hopefully you have enough learned behaviors to figure those things out for yourself. But I, I guess part of, and I'm asking this question, it doesn't mean necessarily that you really are alone. You've got resources, you've got a village out there that you can turn to, you know, you're still responsible for yourself. And I guess maybe my question would be, do you find yourself still going to like a, a quiet place to work things out so that you can contemplate making big decisions? And the part two to that is how do you teach that in, in your, you know, the Academy, the intentional living Academy? Sure. Sure. And that's frankly what, what, you know, the, how the book starts basically is discovering what matters most to you. So to answer your question, yeah, I still once a week on Sunday, you know, I take 30, 60 minutes and I basically review my upcoming week, discover what, you know, is important, the priorities. I do a little progress report on my life as far as the areas of my life that matter every day, each morning for five, 10, sometimes 15 minutes. I find a quiet place and do that for my upcoming day. Yeah, I do it every quarter on a bigger scale. I do it every year annually on a much bigger scale. That you know, annually I might take a day. I might take a half day, take a day, 
but it's the oxygen mask mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. You know, it's like there's a reason why those, you know, attendants on the plane, it's like you're, you're, you're no good if you're fatigued, burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, passed out. Like, how are you going to serve others around you, your family, your coworkers, your team, your loved ones? You just can't. So for me, like finding a quiet place and recalibrating, you know, that, that's, that's quiet time. That's my version of self-care, right? That like, that's my version of the oxygen mask. Yeah. Um, but to what you just mentioned, and I agree with that, like, there's so much value. It's another chapter of my book. It, there's so much value in connection, in community. Like we get to a certain point where, where you're like, uh, well, what's that old African proverb? I think it's, um, you can go, you can go far alone, but you can go faster, further together or something like that. I can't remember. It's quoted in the book. I should probably know that. Yeah, one. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. But the point is like th- certain things are better together and we reach a point where we're like, wow, I can't, you know, go any further by myself or on my own. And now I need to reach out to help or now I need to join a community of like-minded people who all want the same things as I do and have all, all struggled or are struggling with the same things that I struggle with. There's so much value, as all of us know, in, in community, in connection, mm-hmm. in masterminds, right, in memberships, associations. You can go a whole lot further faster when you, you know, plug into like-minded people. Well, it sounds very much like the Stephen Covey model, right? The seven habits of highly effective people. And it sounds like, yeah, you know, this interdependence, me- interdependence. Right? Yeah. And and yep. I think there's a yep. whole discussion and a thought around that. And, and part of the sharpening the saw, right? If I can steal his, his seventh habit is you've got to be able to take the time to think about, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, socially. And if you don't ever take the time to just step back and, and I've shared this story before that I've got a friend of mine in Atlanta who works for the National Restaurant Association. His name is Nigel. He goes, every single day, I'm going to take 10, 15 minutes to just sit and be still. Exactly. And it might be prayer. Exactly. It might be meditation, whatever works for people. But sure. just taking that moment, and it's probably a little bit of some yoga in there when you're thinking, what do I need to attack that would make my life better in any of those four areas? And you know, I guess it, it, your mom was probably right. Like If more people would just sit be still. Don't feel like you got to go out there and and beat on your chest and scream in the top of your lungs and jump on social media or whatever. We'd be in a much different place, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're called human beings and not human doings for a reason. Boom. I'm going to trademark that. I think somebody else said it too. (laughs) Well, that's, this is perfect then because it probably leads in right with our thought as well. I know Brent, you found this great thought, which, which I think probably is a nice compliment to Sean's. What is our thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock number two. Our thought comes from Kurt Vonnegut. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kurt says this, a step backward after making a wrong turn is a step in the right direction. And I think this is hard, right? Because we don't, we hate, we hate this idea of going backwards, uh, no matter what, even if it's in the, in the sort of journey of going forward. But I love that this idea, uh, um, that we sort of got from Sean is to understanding some accountability. Number one, number two, taking the time to figure things out, uh, rather than just, you know, I, I, I treat it like, um, sort of the, uh, what are the Roombas, right? Roomba smacks into a wall 
it, it if it just tried to turn and go, it's going to smack the wall again, right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's going to continually <laughs> smack the wall. It has to back up a tiny bit and then turn and then move forward or whatever direction it's going to go. And that to me is sort of this idea where we have to take that time to back up for just a second to analyze sort of what's happening in the moment and then take our step forward instead of just pivoting and moving pivoting and moving forward it's Mm -hmm. like the chances that you're going to be clear of the obstacle that you are facing are slim and none so let's take that minute take a second um and understand that especially when it's a wrong turn take that step backwards don't just take the step backwards and run take the step backwards find that quiet place figure things out and then start to move in the direction you think you need to go to I love it. That's how I think of it anyways. I don't know Mm. about you, Sean. I just, I just have basically your dad and mom and Kurt Vonnegut (laughs) just had a campfire together and they were like roasting marshmallows, (laughs) making s'mores and changing the world. (laughs) There you go. There you go. No, I love that. I I love that. And what comes to mind to me is, is two things. You just mentioned Stephen Covey. So for me, Stephen Covey has been a mentor for a very long time. Mm -hmm. He's one of those people that really figured it out as far like Zig Ziglar talks about how to get success stories in every area of your life, not just one, like not just your career or your business. And Stephen Covey, in my mind, has his, he figured that out somehow, some way. I think he had like six kids. If I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, he had a marriage for 45, 50, maybe even more years. Like the guy really figured out a way to have it all. And I, yep. and I really admire that. He influenced millions of people he just seemed to be a very congruent sort of a person who prioritized well. He knew what, you know, his first things first were. And I think oftentimes that was family for him. And I just really admire him because otherwise you hear about some of these other business moguls who, you know, they, they fly their companies to the moon and there's a wake of dead bodies behind them. Their right. families in shambles. You know, that to me is too far outside of balance. The risk is too high for me to try that. But I love that quote, because it reminds me of what Stephen Covey said about the flight of an airplane, the flight path, the moment an airplane, like let's say an airplane's flying from New York to LA, the moment the wheels are up off the ground, it's actually off track 90% of the time before it reaches LA. But the pilots have this luxury called autopilot. They can push a button and thanks to technology on the airplane, they can put their feet up, have a conversation, have a meal, use the restroom, whatever it is. Well, we as human beings don't have the luxury. I call it manual autopilot. Mm-hmm. So it kind of wraps into what we were just talking about. How do you do those little, take some time and make those teeny little course corrections, whether it's a daily course correction, weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever it is, to make sure that you arrive at you know what's in your GPS coordinates, right? right. You arrive at your destination. I think it's one of the most important jobs we have as human beings, maybe besides parenting, is to perform manual, manual autopilot in our own life. We don't have that luxury. So that's my first thought. The other thought that comes to mind is oftentimes before we get to that next level in our relationships, with our finances, with our businesses, careers, whatever, you know, any area of life, sometimes we experience a little bit of a fall. And it almost acts as a trampoline to propel us to that next level. Yeah. So, you know, that, that what, that's what comes to mind is I've just, if you look back in your life or if I look back in mine, I'm thinking, gosh, you know, that adversity, that's 
struggle that I experienced was really a necessity in my life because it did propel me to this next place. Yeah. You know, um, so I, I love the quote. I, I think it's it's an awesome one. And uh, yeah, I love the Roomba. <laughs> the Roomba. That's, that's very relatable for me. That's pretty hilarious. I don't think I'll ever look at my Roomba the same way. So thank you for that. I've tried it. It doesn't work on carpet. And that's, a, that's a problem for me. You know, to, and, and I think that airplane story uh, analogy, it's great because, you know, it's about course correction. You know, everybody's got stuff going on in, in life. And as long as the ultimate destination of how you want to end your life or pass it on to other people or whatever, there's constant changes that are going on. And just to be a little bit That's transparent right. with you, Sean, I mean, I uh, when I was at Hard Rock for 21 years, I became a licensed facilitator for Stephen Covey stuff. I actually went out uh, oh, cool. to Sundance and was certified by you know i met blaine lee stephen covey wow wow um, actually cool. had a chance to uh create he took habit three that put first things first and created what matters most there's yes. a whole course that came out of that and i worked with uh some principle centered leadership stuff that he did so i'm i'm a huge fan of you. his yeah and and you yeah. know here's the thing you, you would not necessarily think about a lot of those you know it, sometimes it gets to be heady high level principles and you bring it to a rock and roll environment like hard rock, like you would look at that and go, how is this going to work? But, but the principles were so easy to be understood. I mean, certainly more if it was facilitated than you just reading the book, but I love a lot of the stuff that he did, but I just want to let you know, I had an opportunity to really spend some time with him and understand sort of how that guy's mind worked a little bit more. But wow, you know, I think the wow. second part that, that we were talking about. I, I looked at this quote a little bit different from Vonnegut. You know, I think about the times that I personally, but other people talk about this. When you get lost, let's say in Paris or Barcelona or somewhere in Italy, it's those side streets, those pathways that can be considered an adventure, right? Instead of staying on the main path where the, the bright lights and the tourists and all that, people will swear by and talk about the pub, the restaurant, the store, the people they met, the experiences. If you look at it as, you know, and again, I'm looking at the thought, you take a step backward, you've made a wrong turn, but if you just take a moment to take stock of that and go, let's look at this as an opportunity, as an experience, you're going to be in a much better place. Yeah, you might have to turn around and walk back 20, 30 steps, mm -hmm. but some people will say that was some of the best decision-making that they ever had. And the reason I bring this yeah. up is I think, and, and, you know, Brant, you can talk about this as well, our friend Allison Levine, when she's sure. talking about, I'm sure this came to your mind when she's going up Mount Everest, yeah. right? Yeah. Tell that story because I think, you know, we all are going to make mistakes along this road, uh, you know, whatever the pathway is from time to time. But the moment that you decide to, to go back or take a different direction, you start the process of getting back on track, whether it's bad financial decisions or addiction or crime or whatever. And I think, Sean, you were saying this earlier, and, and you know, if I read you correctly, for people that are listening that are believers, it's it's the ultimate road back, right? Knowing that you can sin but be forgiven, that there's a pathway to get back on track if you make a wrong turn. So that's sure. a little bit more of a macro. But when we heard this story of uh, our good friend, one of the, the best speakers we know, Allison, climbing Mount Everest, which I think she's done twice. Yeah. But how does the story go when she talks about well, that? Well, you know, the, the beauty of her story is that moving backwards is actually part of You the have plan. to do it. Yeah. You have to. You can't not do it and survive. So Physically. Yeah. When, you, when you're climbing Everest, you have to plan on continually 
reaching a point and going back to where you came from and resting and, and letting your body adjust to the elevation and then reaching another point and then coming back to where you were. So the, the act of moving backwards is actually part of the progress to move forward. It's not a mistake. It's not a, mm-hmm. a, it's not even a wrong turn. It's an actual plan to go backwards so that you can get to a higher a higher peak right and so i i just I even think, even to the point that when she was getting close to the top it was you can take one step forward but you got to take two steps back and right. you're like oh my god it's so demoralizing that's but right. that's that's how it works or it's, else you can't make it and yeah. it's what it's what stopped her from reaching the peak the first time right yeah. and she's like what a loser you know <laughs> she had gotten <laughs> just kidding we love you allison she if had you're gotten listening. so <laughs> close she'd gotten so close right and and it just the, the weather had rolled in there was a big storm coming and it would have been too risky for her to continue on but she could see it i'm like it's within the eye shot she can see it it's right there it's i forget how far she said it was it was something like a couple hundred feet or something away from where she needed to be but she just it couldn't risk it um because every step you take is literally can be life or death in that in that moment but i love this idea of of sort of programming in moving backwards as part of the plan and i think it's just it it allows you the perspective right i think that's it for me yeah so it's it's one thing when you make a wrong turn it's it's if you're going to take that pause for a second and try to adjust and find that that uh sort of sort of answer in the quietness when you're looking for what, what's going to happen next. right but you know I, I also want to mention for a second we have another buddy ryan campbell um ryan is a young uh, i i laugh because this kid is is i call him a kid he's 26 years old mm-hmm. um, but my oldest kid is 23 so he's almost my kid <laughs> um and so for me ryan was the youngest kid to ever fly solo around the world yep and i mean just amazing i think he was 15 years old when he did it and two years later, he's in this horrific plane crash, and he be, uh, becomes paralyzed. And over the next two years, he has to take a step backwards and take a look at his life. And lo and behold, two years later, he's walking. He teaches himself to walk again. He teaches himself to fly, the courage to fly again. And uh, you know, he's an Aussie that now lives in in Nashville. And you know, Ryan has this thing called turbulence tough. You've got to be turbulence tough, right? And and the the interesting part is if going back to the plane metaphor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you need to have the that that sort of opposing wind to catch flight. Without that wind, you can't actually get the plane off the ground. So the question is, knowing that that's the case, can you make yourself turbulence tough? And I I feel like. Um, it really that message is almost in perfect alignment with Sean's thought of of no one's responsible for you mm-hmm. but you. So if you're going to make yourself turbulence tough, you're going to have to take some time to figure things out. And and I just I love that. I love Ryan's message. Um, it's such an incredible story and this idea of of what it takes to become turbulence tough, so that when we face these difficult times in our lives, you know, you could have easily just sort of cashed it in and said, I'm done at 28, man. Sure. Uh, Sean, you could have just said, look, I'm, I, I, I'm going to just, you know, go work at 
you know, some retail store for the next. Careful. Of my life. I thought I know, you were going to name know. one. No, I'm not going to do that because <laughs> we, we may need that sponsor. We lost that sponsorship. That's right. I was going to say yeah. McDonald's, but I, you know what? I, I, I still like their egg McMuffins. And so <laughs> let's not go there. Um, I'm loving it. And so the idea, though, is that you had to sort of figure this out for yourself. You had to decide that you were going to take some accountability and then figure out what that next move was. And here you are, you know, 10 years later with a book, with an academy, with the yeah, ability. Influencing people everywhere. That's just it. You're actually helping people not make the same mistake. It's very cool. Which is amazing. So we can't thank yeah. you enough, brother. Uh, spending some time with us on the show today has just been a pleasure. Um, how can people sort of stay in touch if they want to learn more, if they want to grab your book? What's the best place for them to go? Yeah, I appreciate that. And thank you for sharing Ryan's you know turbulent stuff. I, I, I'm not familiar with that. And that's a very powerful visual for me when you talk about, you know, the, the wind, the opposing wind and the fact that you don't have lift without it. That's right. Right. That's and, right. and one of my favorite quotes from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is if you shield the mountain from the windstorms, you'll never see the beauty of the carvings. Yeah. So I, I just think that that's just such a powerful image of that, that idea of lift and that there needs to be a little bit of necessity and a little bit of, adversity you know that that that's what teaches you resilience and persistence and grit and it's really hard though isn't it to remember that when you're right in the thick of it (laughs) you know it's like it's so easier said than done um but yeah i appreciate does sean know he's only allowed one awesome thought on, he's gonna episode. have to come back if he Please. wants to give us. I think more we've all one. had. This is a lot of awesome thoughts, guys. <laughs> yeah. I think I've contributed the least amount of awesome thoughts in the episode. So. Well, we had a ten-minute soliloquy you. with a keynote from Brant Mentor. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you! I, I got value. Thank you. I got value. Yes, so yes. Thank you for that. I'm glad one of us did. That's I'm sending awesome. Jim a bill <laughs> when this is done. Yes, no. yes. No, once again, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, guys. So yeah, you can find my book at my website. Uh, or on Amazon. Uh, if you go to my website, I'm actually doing like a free signed paperback, uh, just pay oh, shipping cool. and handling, and it comes with some neat bonuses. So my website's seanrosensteel.com. I'm sure that will be in the show notes. I won't bore you with spelling that. Yep. Um, yeah, otherwise you can grab it on Amazon. Every month uh, I do like a intentional living challenge uh, through Facebook. So if you're interested in checking out the book and if you want to go a little further, uh, we've got some incredible challenge curriculum for about five days every month or so we've got that. And then you'll of course find information about my Academy. And then I just launched like a new acceleration program, which is kind of a group coaching, very hands-on, very intensive six week experience. Um, so plenty of things to do if, if intentional living is uh, calling your name. I love that. And I love that it's a nice building block too. I'll definitely go and take a look at the Academy. That sounds extremely interesting. Love it. Well, cool. brother, we, uh, we are so thankful that uh, you spent a little time with us and uh, yeah, thanks so much. We'll keep an eye on your journey and uh, we hope to see you again soon. Hey, thanks. Thanks so much. I'm so grateful for the opportunity guys. I appreciate it. Us too. Thanks brother. We'll Thank talk you, to buddy. you soon. Bye. Rock on. Hey, rock stars. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode. Yeah, and if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event, whether as a webinar for a virtual event or in person as a conference keynote, contact us directly at thoughtsthatrock.com. Until next time, rock rock on. on!